Welcome to the Awaken Take Podcast. On today's show, we recap the World Series and the decision by Rays manager Kevin Cash to pull Blake Snell in the middle of a gem controversial decision. Zach Schefter calling in to break down all of that today. Then BG and Randy call in and we preview week two of the Big Ten. Get you ready for all the big matchups this week. Then we wrap the show with pick segment. Hit it, Zachary. In New Orleans, they call the rising sun, and it's been a ruin of many a poor boy. And God, I know I've won. Welcome to the show, Zach. Calling in here, first segment. We're talking World Series. And Zach, really everyone's talking about is that decision to take out Blake Snell in the sixth inning. Kevin Cash, big, big decision, and it ends up being the wrong one. What What was your take? I mean, everybody is kind of on this side, at least from the media, and on Twitter is on the side of why would you take him out? Are you on that same side? And if not, explain. Yeah. Um, I was, I was watching at the same time. Um, my computer went out and be, you had texted me, um, about that decision and my computer went right out and I was just, I was in disbelief that he was coming out. He had 70, I think it was 73 pitches. Um, and it was the fifth, it, it was the sixth inning. I think it was, but it was, he had pitched like five and a five and a, five third. And a third. It was. Yeah. And I was, I was, I couldn't believe it. He was pitching the game of his life. He had nine K's dude. The, the thing the thing that frustrated me the most about it is what um, Kevin Cash said afterwards, and he said that, you know, I didn't want to face Seager. Or I didn't, yeah, I want to have to face Seager and Betts a third time. Mm-hmm. And it makes, you know, on an analytical standpoint, it makes sense. You don't want to have the guy. That's a big thing they've been doing now. You don't want to see the lineup three different times with the same pitcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that really bothered me about that is that he was that Mookie Betts, Seager, and Turner, I think it was there, one, two, three guys, were 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts before that, mm-hmm. before he got pulled. They had 6 strikeouts. Like, it, was, it wasn't that they were just you know swinging and hitting the ball and they were popping out and it just on my... They weren't touching him. They were not touching him at all. And the thing that I think is so hypocritical about that statement is that Nick Anderson had pitched um, most games of the series. In his last 6 outings, he had given up a run in, the, uh, um, in each of his last 6 outings. And so what I can't wrap my head around is that he has the audacity to say he doesn't want to see him for the third time I know. yet they've seen Anderson and whooped his ass more than three times. Right. I don't under, I, I don't get it. I couldn't. And it just, it blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you have to go only so far with the analytics and, and John Smoltz on the broadcast really hammered cash for that decision. You know, he, his standpoint was right. I think, and you cannot, base analytics from 60 games of regular season baseball and, and postseason baseball as well, but it doesn't compare to an elimin- elimination game of the World Series because those tendencies that you have in the regular season and, and earlier in the postseason, it's not the same when you're under 
an immense amount of stress and pressure, and it's game on the line, World Series on the line, titles on the line, and the analytics don't always hold up. I mean, they they said the statistic about how many pitchers have gone complete games. I know Jack Morrison with the Twins is the only one that comes to mind right now. Uh, but when you have your best player and your ace pitching that well, and he gives up two hits and five and a third and 73 pitches, nine strikeouts, I mean, how can you take him out in that situation? How can, I mean, that's your best chance to win. And the minute they did that, uh, the Dodgers uh, – Clubhouse was just laughing and smiling. Mookie Betts smiled at the manager, Dave. Is Dave Lee? Dave Thomas? What's his name? Uh, Roberts. Roberts. Dave Roberts. Dave yep. Roberts. And, and, you know, they knew at that point, as the rest of the country did, is that was the end of the game. You know, even though Tampa Bay was still up one nothing with the runner on first, Mookie and Seager in the heart of their lineup coming up, you could just sense that as soon as, as Snell came out of the game, it was over for the race. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing I have such a hard time getting my head around is that you, you, you let your, you have a Cy Young award winning pitcher on your team. He's your ace and he's dealing game of his life. And you're going to give him up to the bullpen. Who's been pretty shaky the last couple of games. And it's not their fault. They're the best, one of the best bullpens in baseball, but they've been overworked. They've been so overworked. And, um, you're going to, you're going to let it ride on, on a bullpen who's, you know, who Nick Anderson, like I said, the last six outings, he'd given up a run in his, you're going to, you're going to let it ride on that. And you're not going to let it ride on your Cy Young pitcher. who's only gone 73 pitches to be like, all right, man, finish this out for us. If we make this mistake and be, it's a home run off you. And you can live with that mistake. You know, yeah. you can, you can live with Blake style giving up two runs and losing the game on that after your ace is pitching the game of the year. You can't live with pulling him at the peak of his, at the peak of his game at the last game of the seat. Cause what also blows my mind is that apparently this I, I can't confirm this, but this is what I heard that Snell hasn't gone over six innings in like a year and a half. And I don't know if I believe that or not. I, I should have checked that before I just told you that. And so it's injury. It must be I, I don't know what it is. They let Glasnow go 105 pitches game one. Yeah. Um. And, and he wasn't. He was. He was good. He wasn't great by any means. And so. I'm I'm just so confused. Game six, you got nothing left to play for. Um, you know, afterwards, you, you're, I'm sorry, you got the, you got the you got game seven to play for, and if you lose game set, game six, you're done. Right. You're done forever. So you think you'd throw it all in the line? You pitch Snell, you know, 100, 110 pitches. You got the whole offseason to recover, and the adrenaline is just flowing either way. So it's not like a regular game where it's like, all right, take him out after 90. No, man, he could go the distance, and it's just, uh yeah, that upset me a lot. And I, I know Blake Cash or Blake Snell. Yeah, Kevin Cash is probably pretty upset with himself right now. Yeah, and what do you say to to Blake Snell after he, you take him out of that game? I mean, he's in the dugout just pissed, as you can tell, and he's got his mask on, so you couldn't really read the lips very well, but he's talking to one of his teammates in there and just ranting, and they keep showing him in the dugout, and he's just ranting uh, to one of his teammates sitting right there. And, I mean, he's got a great point. As soon as you saw Kevin Cash come out of the bowl, or out of the dugout to take him out of the game, I mean, he just turned away in disgust. I mean, that's the appropriate yep. reaction. But you do have to give Cash some credit. I think he made a very, very tough call, a bold call. And Joe Buck and, and Schmoltz were talking about on the broadcast. They asked him what would be the hardest situation you could get in, and it was exactly that situation they got in, up one nothing in the sixth inning with a guy on first. What do you do? Do you take out your ace? Do you take him out and trust the bullpen to hold on to that one nothing lead? Or do you leave him in there? A tough call. 
I mean, I think we're all on the same page what you do in that situation in Game 6 of the World Series, but he went with the analytics, and I thought it was very interesting that after the game he said he would do the same thing over again. And I mean, I guess if you ride the horse that got you there, they've been, play, they've been playing that way all year, uh, playing the analytics game, and they've done that in Tampa Bay for a long time now. And I think Rocco Baldelli even, was he with Tampa Bay before we hired him? Because I think he has some he sort was. of connection. Yep. Yeah. So he plays that same way too. So what what do the Twins and what can the Twins learn from this, if anything? I mean, I think um, a big part of it, Jack Morris, um, you mentioned him a little earlier. He had tweeted out something. He's like, or it was Jack Morris. But then Tim Kirchin also had to, I'll, I'll start with Jack Morris. Um, he's like, you can't, there's no situation where you take out your ace. He's feeling, um, and he had talked about the feeling of the game and it's being lost analytics. And Tim Kirchin, had a, had a big segment about that, about how we're losing the feel. Like managers are losing the feel of the game. They're going purely off stats and no one knows how to take a hunch anymore and, and, and you know, ride the hot hand anymore. It's not, it's nothing like that. It's, it's purely analytics. And we see that with the shift now it's every play is shifted. Um, that wasn't a thing 10 years ago, no chance. And, you know, I don't, you think about, think about it 10 years ago. Think about when we started watching baseball growing up. No way, no chance does Blake Snell get taken out of that game in any situation, any circumstance. Like, you're trying to win a game, you just go with your hot hand. You know, you don't. And I'm not a manager of a major league team for a reason. Mm-hmm. So Cash knows some things we don't. But I think what the Twins can do, learn from this. And, and I think we did a great job of it. Is, is you know, we, when Maeda was dealing, there were some times where I was really frustrated. We took out some of our guys, like Maeda would be dealing, and then Rocco would take him out put in Rogers and then Rogers would have a shaky outing and it'd just be like, Oh God, like why not just let it ride on the, on the starting pitcher? So I think, I hope the twins can take something from this. I hope the league takes something from this. That bullpen games are overrated, dude, that the bullpen gets overworked and yeah, you got a bunch of guys throwing a hundred miles an hour out of the bullpen and you think, you know, you put them in the fifth inning and then ride it out from there. Maybe that works for some teams in a short, in a, in a, in a season where you're not playing every single day, but in this situation too, and, and next year, who knows what next major league is going to look like. I think the twins, you know, and I think every team in major league baseball, I think you just, you rely on your, your guys that got you there. You, you rely on your, your pitchers. You, you, you don't rely on analytics so much. And, and I don't know how big of a factor the twins play in analytics. I'm sure every team is pretty, but the Rays, I mean, that's, that's their game. They've done it all year. Like you said. And so, it's hard to hard to discredit Cash because the decision is, shouldn't be super surprising based on his history. But yep. yeah, I think what the Twins can learn just ride a hot hand when he's when he's going and don't. <laughs> if Maeda's dealing next year in the playoffs, and yeah. don't take him out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope that's the re- so the lesson too. Is analytics can only get you so far; they can't necessarily win you a championship, and we haven't seen it yet, at least. Uh, but maybe maybe someday. And I, I think it. It brings up a good point. I think PJ mentioned it last week when he was talking about the fake punt uh, against Michigan. It's a great call. If, it's, if it works, it's a horrible call. If it doesn't, it didn't work, so we'll call it a horrible call. That was what PJ said, and I think you could apply that to Kevin Cash as well. It's a great call if it works, if the bullpen comes in there and wins that game and shuts out the Dodgers and they're going to a game seven. It's a horrible call if it doesn't. It doesn't work in this situation, and now that's all we're talking about. But the other big story coming out of that after the World Series uh, is Justin. Is it Justin Tucker? Justin Turner. Justin Turner. Thank you. Justin, Justin Turner. Okay, Justin Turner. So yep. he got his COVID test back in the middle of the eighth inning. 
apparently the organization then figured out he came back positive from one of his tests. I believe it was earlier in the day. Uh, they pull him from the game, and then he's out there celebrating without a mask on after the World Series is over. Uh, can you walk us through what happened there? Yeah, yeah. So they, it was um, second inning. They had got a test back, and I think before each game, the postseason they've been doing tests, and they've been they've been really on it. They immediately did a good job this year. I felt um, from what I heard, um, but his test came back inconclusive in the second inning, and. I don't think that the test is supposed to, you know, for obvious reasons, supposed to come back before the game. Right. His came back late, and his came back inconclusive. So, like, oh, my goodness. Like, we got to send this back again. So they took samples from that same test, sent it back again, came back positive. And I think everyone's just shitting bricks at this point. They're like, oh, my goodness, we messed up badly. Took him out. Uh, I think it was Manfred. Whoever had the, the say in it just <clears throat> told Roberts to take him out of the game immediately. And they didn't tell us on, they didn't tell us on the – broadcast why they did that until way after the game yeah until after the game so everyone's confused like turner oh man he got hurt like what's going on well he find they find out he gets he gets covid he has it well then you see him on the field take his mask off taking a picture with all the teammates and stuff which is just mind-blowing given given the circumstances and to think too what if the rays had held on to win that game what would have happened right you know And Snell could have probably had another go at it, but I don't know what you do. Like it's just it's mind blowing. Right. I mean, if that series, almost, it was almost like destiny that the Dodgers. Yeah, if that game or, or the game seven gets postponed a couple of days, does Snell come back out and pitch again? I, I mean, that would be crazy, and, and that's a great point. I heard them talking about that on K Fan today. But yeah, what if the Rays win that game? What happens then? Because you would imagine that if he's playing with COVID and he's with all of his teammates throughout a several inning game. You know, he's definitely have to pass it to some of those people. And then, then what do you do from there? Yeah, that's the the thing that just got my head spinning is to think that um, after the two weeks is over, because yeah, everyone's talking to each other on the base paths. Like they're not, you know, they're in a bubble. So they they feel pretty safe. Um, But who who knows how he got exposed. Um, But think about two weeks from now, they, they replay the game. You've got every single pitcher at your disposal. So you, everyone's fresh. Mm-hmm. You could start as, as for the Rays. You could go. You could start Glasnow, then go Snell, then go Morton, then put in Anderson, and everyone's got rest. And and then the Dodgers side of that, mm-hmm. you start Kershaw, then you go Bueller, then you go May, then then you go whoever you want to go. Like it's just it would be an unbelievable game. I think it'd be the greatest, one of the greater baseball games played in our generation. I think just because yeah. of the the pitching aspect of it, just how dominant those pitching. Um, rotations are yeah i think it'd be fun to watch i mean one of the most 2020 stories of the of the year really COVID in the middle of the world series i mean it doesn't get yeah. much crazier than that no it doesn't but I'll, with all that said i don't blame him for going out there celebrating with his team i truly don't i think it's it was it was a bold call if his teammates were fine with it you know they were probably already exposed anyway before he was their leader he is their leader i i don't hate the decision at all but like you said, it just added to a really crazy, crazy story, crazy year that story did. Yeah, certainly crazy. Zach, good to talk to you. We'll talk to you next week with the new segment of, uh, or what is it now, Ramblin' Riverboat Rickies, Tales of the Week? Tales of Tales of Ramblin' Rickies. Thank you. Thank you. The Tales of Ramblin' Rickies. Hopefully we'll Rickies. have a cleaner audio. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We're working on the production, so we'll look forward to that next week. Thanks, Zach. Perfect. Yes, thank you. And again, a special thanks to Zach for calling in. Looking forward 
to the tales of Riverboat Ramble and Riverboat Ricky next week. All right, boys, let's move on to Big Ten football week two. BG and Randy now calling in. And BG, Gophers got a little bit of a different opponent this week, a little bit easier in the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, Gophers are currently, I think, 19.5-point favorites uh, for this Friday night game, 6.30 kickoff on ESPN. And Maryland really let up everything last week on offense, defense, special teams. Uh, defensively, they gave up 537 yards to uh, in, in really an okay offense in Northwestern. They ranked 123rd last season uh, in total offense, so really nothing special for Northwestern offensively, and they still put up uh, over 500 yards of total offense. So you expect Tanner Morgan and this Gophers offense uh, to put up a lot, of, uh, a lot of numbers offensively and hopefully a lot of points, BG. Yeah, we talked about it last week that this week's game tonight against Maryland is a chance to go to get back to 500 and kind of prove everybody else wrong after a poor outing against Michigan, getting run all over on. Um, and after that first touchdown that we were up, just getting dominated for the rest of the game. And this arguably is the worst team in the Big Ten, apparently, um, after we saw week one losing by 40 points in Northwestern, which is just unheard of. But um, I'm expecting us hopefully to cover that because 18 points isn't that much for a P.J. Fleck-led Gophers offense, uh, returning a lot of starters. But Maryland's quarterback is Tua Teglovia's brother, however yeah. you say that. I can't yeah. remember his Tego first Vailoa. name. Yeah, it's his, his, the quarterback yeah. for – yeah, he's a transfer from Alabama. It's Tua's brother, like you mentioned, yeah, Talia Tagovailoa. Yeah, and he, I believe he had three interceptions against the Northwestern defense, which is not the start you want uh, for your college career. So we'll see, I guess, if he's the starter and plays the whole game week two against us. And it'll be a really good opportunity for our young defense and our new defense as, as a collective unit to go against a, a very subpar quarterback and one that's struggling uh, currently. Yeah, you're right. He did. He had three interceptions last week, and I think 94 yards total offense, and they are of passing offense, and yeah, they they really could not do anything offensively. They scored the first drive of the game, put up the field goal, and then nothing the rest of the game. And uh, the head coach, I can't remember his name right now. Let's see if it's uh, it's Mike Loxley. Uh, he said in the in the press conference this week or after the game that uh, Tago Vilo is their their quarterback, and they're sticking with him. Uh, but, yeah, like you mentioned, a very tough start for him uh, against the Northwestern defense. That is solid. I'll give it Northwestern. They have That is the strong part of that team is their defense. Uh, but, you know, giving up 500 yards to a very average or below average offense uh, is not good at all. But they do have some talent on the offensive side of things, at least on the outside and receiver. Uh, they start Dante Demias, uh, Deshaun Jones, and then Romkin Jarrett, who's a five-star freshman receiver. So they got some pretty good talent in those three guys on the outside. They just need somebody to get them the ball, uh, and they haven't found that for a couple years here, and I think year two under Loxley for the Maryland Terrapins. So a very beatable team, not really much to talk about this week. It's If the Gophers play like they should, this should be a three-touchdown game. They should cover the spread uh, and get ready for next week. Uh, but, yeah, I got really nothing else on the Gophers-Maryland BG. And I think, it, I think it's a good matchup for our defense 
with the Maryland top receivers that they have that are definitely the, uh, the highlights of their offense. We have uh, two recor- returning cornerbacks. We have a returning nickelback, too. So we're in great shape there to defend their uh, spotlights on their offensive unit. As we saw week one, our, I think our weak spot is going to be our defensive, defensive line and linebackers when it comes to stopping the run game. So we'll see how we do against the Maryland team that the running back doesn't speak off the charts or anything like that. So we should have a good time stopping the run. And then I hope that our corners can stop Maryland, but if not, I think the offense will overpower defense anyway, and they'll provide a much-needed win for the Gophers, and hopefully we beat the crap out of them too, like Northwestern did, and yep. can start to get the season actually going for us. Yep, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, to the special teams, who's back, who's not back. I imagine most, I, I don't think the first and third string uh, kickers who tested positive. I think they have to wait 21 days for the Big Ten mandated uh, quarantine, or they, they can't play for 21 days, basically. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on special teams. The disaster that was the special teams last week. Hopefully, that can improve this week. Uh, let's move on to what I think is the game of the week in the Big Ten: Penn State, Ohio State, uh, number three versus number 18. Ohio State currently. Uh, is 12.5-point favorites right now. That game is going to be at State College, Beaver Stadium. No fans. I don't think uh, any fans will be there at least. Andy, I don't know if you have any different information, but I'm pretty sure the Big Ten says no fans across the board. Is that right? Yep, no fans. No fans, yeah. So that's an unfortunate uh, advantage, obviously, that would go the way of Penn State that they are not going to have in this one. And especially for Penn State coming off that loss the heartbreaking loss to Indiana uh, on a controversial play that probably should have gone their way at the end there. Uh, They should be fired up and ready to play this week. I don't think they're going to win the game. We'll talk about it in the pick segment. I do think they're going to cover that 12.5 point spread, and it'll all be dependent on on how Sean Clifford plays. He needs to get off to a fast start. He had two interceptions last week in the first half, and he was not not good at all in that first half. Really stepped it up and, and led that comeback. Uh, had three touchdown passes in the second half. They end up losing the game, obviously, but if he starts fast, Penn State will have a chance in this one uh, to at least cover the spread, in my opinion. BG, Randy, anything on Penn State, Ohio State? I'm just looking forward to the game um, to see two of the top teams in the Big Ten, or at least the two or three top teams in the Big Ten uh, showcase uh, off one another. And to have that happen and have it be a close game, Penn State is going to have to play a lot better than they did, obviously, week one, losing to Indiana, even though some controversial calls. Can't play a close game to Indiana if you expect to have a close game to Ohio State. But, yeah, I think just Ohio State, with how deep they are as a roster, their backups could start in other Big Ten schools. And then they obviously have Justin Fields, who's a problem back there. So I hope that it's going to stay close. But I'll be honest, I don't, I'm leaning towards I don't think it will. But nonetheless, it'll be fun to watch two good teams go at it. Yeah, I think this is a this is kind of a make or break year. I think for your Penn State, if you look at the recruiting uh, classes looking for the next couple of years, the uh, the projections you can read into how much um, weight those have. Uh, but Penn State doesn't have great recruiting classes uh, over the next couple of years, and uh, I think part of that is due to the fact that they've basically been the same team for the past. 10 or so years. It seems like every year Penn State 
loses to Ohio State, they lose to a Minnesota or an Iowa, and then every couple of years they lose to an Indiana. Like they're always two or three losses, and it's always the same game that they lose, and they just can't get over that hump. And uh, I mean, eventually, I think I, I think Wisconsin is the only exception of a program that kind of just stays pretty good for uh, for a while. But um, I mean, just looking at next couple of years of recruiting, it looks like um, Penn State might uh, might start to suffer soon. So. This is a huge game for uh, for James Franklin and in the Nittany Lions, and uh, I mean, if they start off out too, then um, that they could they could drop a couple more games this year. Yeah, I didn't know about their recruiting. That's an interesting point to mention, but uh, I mean, you can't put Franklin on the hot seat too much. I mean, they're in the national conversation every year. Yeah, they have lost a few games here and there, but national relevance in a top twenty five ranking perennially, perennially is. It is not much to complain about, uh, but I, I do see what you're talking about. And if the talent and the level of wins start to fall off, then you could definitely see him out the door fast uh, from State College there. Let's move on to Wisconsin, Nebraska. This game obviously in the news this week and has been canceled. Uh, and I believe Wisconsin pulled out of the game initially. Uh, Barry Alvarez, uh, I don't know if he's the president uh, of Wisconsin or whatever, the athletic director maybe pulled them out of this game saying the safety of our players is at the forefront, whatever. Also, three of our quarterbacks have COVID, and we don't want to play with their fourth string. Uh, he didn't say that, but he that's what he meant. And it's kind of interesting, at least. I don't know what you guys think about this, but do you think that, that having three quarterbacks out and having it be on their fourth string quarterback have any, have any uh, decision or weigh any weight into this decision to cancel the game? I don't know. I I would say no to that. I think that early on in the season, they're just taking the more uh, cautious approach. It's week two. They look dominant in week one with their quarterbacks. Um, and I just think the longevity of the Big Ten season was more so on their minds and just getting through the season. If we play, I'm sure they want to play, but spread it to Nebraska, then that starts off like we've seen in the beginning of the MLB season. So I'd say in my opinion, probably not, and just looking towards the long term and how to keep playing more games um, in the end. Actually, turn on the Zoom camera there instead of the unmute. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the difference between the Big Ten and what they're doing and what you've seen in the, in the NBA and baseball and the pro sports is that the way that the pro sports work with the owners trying to make as much money as possible is they are incentivized to play as much games as they can and as little time as, uh, <laughs> as they're given. And I think when you look at the, the college level, I mean, these, these athletic directors have, you know, their image, I think, uh, matters a lot more and keeping their job than necessarily trying to create the most revenue. And, and by missing the game, I don't know the ins and outs, but I have to imagine that this game not being played isn't a huge revenue hit for either Nebraska or Wisconsin as it is you know, an NFL team not playing a game this year or, or baseball teams missing games. So um, I think that aspect, at least at the college level, throughout college football and all college sports, um, yeah, I think that's why we've seen 
I don't know about that. I mean, a little more cash. I think, I think, yeah, you make a good point, but from the revenue side of things, don't you think the big 10 would lose just as much money from a game in comparison to the NFL? I mean, they might not lose as much, but yeah, basically like per, you know, per that game slot, let's say they're set to make a hundred thousand dollars from having that game worth of uh, revenue from the advertisement. They're, they're losing a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say it's not the million that an NFL game would have, but it's still what a normal college football game would have for a big 10 game. So I, I think it might, you know, hurt them just as much as missing an NFL game. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what, what I'm saying though, is that if you're, you know, if you're comparing the athletic director to the owner of an NFL team, you know, athletic director himself isn't putting that bill. I mean, he's not, you know, like most owners in pro sports are. Yeah, fair. He's not writing a big check at the end of the year. Fair. Um, so, I mean, I think when you when you think of it that way from his perspective, I mean, he's really a PR face. It's, yeah. It's his number one priority. Yeah. Um, that is, I mean, that is a good point. He is not the one flipping the bill. It's the university. And, and that does make the decision a lot easier. Uh, I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. And the first Big Ten game that we've seen gone down now in just two weeks of uh, of play. Let's move on to Iowa Northwestern. Andy, I'll, I'll let you take the reins on this one, um, but I'll leave you with this. Northwestern has beat Iowa three of the last four matchups, and Pat Fitzgerald is 8-6 and six, uh, in his 14 matchups against Iowa. Your thoughts leading into Saturday's game? Yeah. Pat Fitzgerald just has Iowa's number, and I don't know what it is. Even, like, Northwestern's beat us years where they've had, like, two or three wins, and Iowa's been pretty good. And Northwestern looks the week that they play Iowa like they're a top-five team in the country. And I'm, like, I don't know how that works. Absolutely no idea how that works. But he does something during Iowa week to just get them pumped up. And I don't know if, like, when he was – you know, coming out of high school, if he, if Iowa, you know, didn't recruit him or uh, left a bad impression on him, but um, they, man, they always beat us up. And even when we win, it's always a close game. We can never, we can never just destroy a bad or an average Northwestern team. Um, and that's, it's always the most scary game on the calendar for Iowa fans. Like, Iowa fans are, are feel more confident about probably every other team except for Wisconsin. So they never play Wisconsin, well, but they're actually a good team. <laughs> oh no, not the Gophers. <laughs> um, but if, if if you ask if you ask most Iowa fans if, what game on the schedule, uh, you know they're most frightened about every year. Most most fans are going to tell you Northwestern, uh, and I, I don't know what it is, but. Um, I mean, Pat Fitzgerald does something to, to to get his Wildcats ready. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Uh, that one in Kinnick, uh, three o'clock kickoff, I believe. Right, Andy? Three o'clock. I think so. Yep. Yeah, two and a half points. Iowa is favored by at the moment. All right, let's move into the last game we'll talk about here. Not really much to talk about. Number seventeen, Indiana, at Rutgers, Indiana. Now in the top twenty-five after knocking off Penn State last week big favorites over Rutgers, and it'll be interesting to see how Indiana comes out after the big win. Is there any sort of hangover? Could they maybe uh, drop this game to Rutgers? I think the answer is no. I think Indiana is for real, uh, at least offensively. So keep an eye on number 17, Indiana at Rutgers. 
All right, boys, let's move into pick segment here before we wrap this thing up. Let's start with the Minnesota Vikings. Border battle this week at the Packers. Vikings are plus seven. BG, we will start with you and then go to Randy. I'm unfortunately going to have to betray the great state of Minnesota and choose the Packers because we have three cornerbacks who might be out for the game and three for sure who are not 100% healthy. And that's scary with our defense, and it's a nightmare when you're going up against Rodgers. So I'll take the pack. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely taking the pack, too. I cannot wait to watch Rodgers again. Yeah, BG, I was looking at the injury report this week, and it just riddled with defensive backs. We have, I mean, we're down to basically nothing in the secondary. Um, but I think this is a Kirk Cousins go-off game. I think Kirk is going to throw like three or four touchdowns and like 300 yards, and he's going to have the best game he's had all year. And I think the Vikings cover. I don't think they'll win the game. I think they'll lose by a field goal. But I think the Vikings play another good game uh, against a good team but come up just short. Um, let's see what Zach said here. Zach has the Packers uh, as well. So three Packers, one Vikings on that one. All right, moving on. Steelers plus three and a half at the Baltimore Ravens. BG, we'll start with you again. I'll go Steelers to cover. I didn't really realize how good they were until these last couple of weeks where they've looked dominant against good teams, and Ravens are definitely a good team, but I think Steelers are better all the way around. I'll go Steelers. Randy? Yeah, this is a, t- this is a tough one for me because uh, I don't know what it is. Just there's nothing that really stands out either way uh, from a, a matchup perspective that uh, makes you go one way or the other. Um, I mean, Big Ben is getting the ball out so quick this year, like in just over two seconds, like something he's never done in his career before. Um, and I think uh, I think they keep that up this week and they just keep rolling and uh, they're going to win this game outright. I like it. Uh, Zachary has the Ravens. All right, moving on to our next game. Saints minus four and a half at the Bears. BG, we'll start with you. Yeah, I could see this game going either way, and I'm trying to remember who I picked. I think I went with the Bears. I just feel that it's in Chicago, which even though they're, I don't think they have fans, but playing in Chicago is a huge advantage for the Bears, mm-hmm. and they do have a really good defense, and the Saints just aren't dominant uh, with, how they've been dominant these past two, three, like five years. They're just not the same team. And Bears looked horrible last night under the spotlight, national primetime, but I think they'll have a bounce-back week and at least cover. All right, Randy? I think, I um, yeah, I, I think the Bears cover too. I mean, the, the one team that's given uh, Tom Brady a fit this year has been the Bears and that stellar defense and um, I think they uh, they show uh, they, they they throw the book at uh, at Drew Brees this weekend. Um, they even come out with a win. Yeah, I, I'm going with the Bears as well. I think their defense is too good with Michael Thomas questionable to play in that game, and I'm guessing he's going to play. But with him not at full strength, it, it would be tough for the Bears to pull that one out uh, uh, on the road in what's going to be a cold Chicago. Alrighty. Oh, I, I realized I never actually mentioned my pick. I moved right through the Steelers game. I'm taking the Steelers as well. Um, they have the best. They're the best team in football right now. Hard to pick against them. I, I can't believe 
They're three and a half point dogs in this game. I love them at three and a half uh, in that one. All righty, moving on to our upset pick. BG, what is your upset pick this week? I went with them last weekend, and I got the upset, so I'm going with them again. I have the 49ers um, in Seattle beating the Seahawks. Uh, I think it's around a three-point spread for the Seahawks, but going in there and getting the upset. Randy? I've got the uh, I've got Tua Tugaviola and the Miami Dolphins. Tua in his first start, taking down Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams. Ooh, I like it. I have the Raiders. I think they are plus two and a half at the Cleveland Dumpers. Uh, I, I think the Raiders are just going to pull this one off. I don't know why. I just got a feeling. I'm, I'm riding with the Gruden boys. And I like I like the Raiders in this one. Uh, let's see what Zach's pick here. Zach is taking Zach is taking the Raiders as well. I love it. Zach riding along with the Raiders as, as well. All righty, moving into our last game, college game this week. We've already talked about it, and I gave my pick already, but it's Ohio State minus 12.5 at Penn State. BG, what do you got? I'm taking Ohio State minus 12, and I alluded to it earlier, but I honestly – do not think this game is going to be close. I think Ohio State is just on another tier compared to everybody in the Big Ten. Randy? Yep, I think you take every alternate line you can for the, the Buckeyes, minus 15, minus 20. Justin Fields over every prop that you can. Um, I think I think the Buckeyes are going to crush this week. Mm. All right, well, this will be some an opportunity here for, for myself to make up some ground on you guys or to – to get ahead of you guys here as, as I'm going the other way with Penn State. I think they lose this football game, but keep it within two scores. I'm going Penn State, and Zachary is going Ohio State. So three Ohio States, one Penn State on that one, and we'll update all the standings next Tuesday, and we'll see you guys all then. And day after day I'm more confused yeah, look for the light in the pouring rain You know that's a game I hate to lose And I'm feeling the strain Oh, ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll And drift away Won't you take me away, yeah I'm beginning to think that I'm wasting time I don't understand the things I do The world outside looks so unkind I'm counting on you To carry me through Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll And drift away 
Give me the beat, boys, to free my soul. I wanna get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Won't you take me away? Yeah. And when my mind is free, you know, melody can move me. Feeling blue, the guitar's coming through to soothe me. Thanks for the joy that you've given me. I want you to know that I believe in your soul. Oh, yeah. A rhythm and rhyme harmony. You help me Take me away.